Uh, let's read the word of the Lord. Uh, today's word comes from Acts uh, chapter 19, verses 1 through 20. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver." So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love your name. We love your word. Lord, I, I pray this morning for Ryan that you would settle his thoughts as he teaches us. And Lord, I pray that his name would diminish and your name would be magnified. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in this series going through the book of Acts uh, together. And, and today, the, the, the angle that we're looking at on, in Acts chapter 19 really has to come through this theme that I keep seeing as I read through Acts 19. And it's really about what you do with the name of Jesus. <laughs> in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, the, the, the Scriptures say that there's uh, there's, there's no other name under heaven where 
people can be saved other than the name of Jesus. And we see this playing out over and over and over and over again. We see in Acts 19 that there's this, this group of people that, that Paul and his companions happen upon that, that uh, they, they, they don't really know the name of Jesus. They don't really have the Holy Spirit. And then we see these other folks in Acts chapter 19, which is one of the most bizarre stories in all of the scriptures, who try to use the name of Jesus to their advantage. And well, we see what happens with that, right? It's pretty, pretty interesting, right, where these guys walk out. They, they try to exercise, you know, do an exorcism, and then they, they walk out, and they are all, they're mastered by this demon-possessed man. They walk out naked and wounded, whatever that means, all right? Let your mind go there. So anyway, what I want to look at today is, is really what we do with the name of Jesus. And as we kind of ease into this, um, I think you guys all know that I like music. I like all sorts of music, rock, folk, jazz, instrumental, piano, yes I do, uh, hip-hop, etc. I like a little bit of, of all types of music, and, and, uh, and, and a lot of you do as well. And out of all of the um, types of music that I like, and <laughs> out of all of the concerts that I've been to, I've only ever been able to go backstage one time. And before I tell you who the concert that I got to go backstage to, because you're going to laugh at me, let me just tell you what the experience uh, was like. Um, my friend Chad was dating a girl who's pretty wealthy. We were in college, and, and she said for her birthday she wanted to go to this concert. And, uh, and she said, and her dad said, you can invite whoever you want. And not only can you go to the concert, we're going to rent a limo, we're going to drive the two hours away to Cincinnati, and we're going to take you and your friends to the concert you're going to go backstage. It's going to be the time of your life. And I'm thinking, okay, this should be interesting. And so anyway, we get, we get in the, the car, we, uh, the, the limo, and, 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 and we pull up. And, and mind you, uh, the concert choice is not mine. I can't reiterate that enough. We pull up, friends, at the Jessica Simpson concert. <laughs> and, uh, and so you get this special entrance, and, and you're going backstage, and... Uh, and uh, we're there with our, with our posse, and, and we, we're going up. And, and, like, we get to see Jessica Simpson maybe for, like, seven seconds while she's walking onto the stage. And that is the backstage experience that we, we get. I mean, it was really played up, and you're getting food, you're hanging out. Um, and, uh, you know, I was expecting, like, maybe we'll go out and sing a duet together on the stage or something. And, and uh, you know, here's the reality. She didn't know us. She didn't know us. We had the same experience as everyone else. We just paid a little bit more. Uh, it, was a, it was a really hollow experience. It was, it was, it was the, they sell it that you're going to actually get to know this person, but you don't really get to know them. And, and if, if you could take away one point, like one big point today, what would it be? Following Jesus and knowing Jesus is a lot different than going backstage at a Jessica Simpson concert. You can write that down right in your... It's good. Um, so, so anyway, Jesus is just so different. There's this instance in John chapter 1 where um, there are these guys that are, that are disciples of John the baptizer, and uh, th they want uh, to follow Jesus. But th the thing is, they, they think that they have to follow him at a distance. Um, and let's just see what Jesus does with them. If you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. Says the scriptures say this. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus, and as he walked by, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. 
Now, there were two disciples that were with John that said this. They were disciples of John the baptizer, and, and they started following Jesus. Jesus turned, and he saw them following, and he said, what are you seeking? What are you looking for, guys? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come, and you will see. So they came, and they saw where he was staying, and, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. So what do you see Jesus do in this passage? These guys think that they have to follow Jesus at this safe distance. They can kind of pull their binoculars out and kind of look at Jesus' life and what he's doing and what he's about. Jesus notices them as he always does, church. He always notices us, and he says, what are you looking for? It's the question that we see him ask over and over in the scriptures when people want something from him. And, uh, and they say, where are you staying? They say, Jesus, we want to go be with you. We want to go to your house. We want to go have dinner with you. And Jesus says, now, you know, my calendar's booked up. I can't really go with you today. Maybe, maybe you can get with my assistant and we can get something on the books for next year. No, he doesn't say that. He says, come and you will see. Guys, this is the Jesus that pursues us. This is the God that we serve. He says, come and dine with me. You're looking for me? Come. This is the Jesus that we follow. My question to you as we dig in this morning is this. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? What does His name mean? Not just in your head, but in your heart. Who is Jesus to you? The, the big idea of where we're, we're taking this text today is this. Is that the name of Jesus is either hallowed or it's hollow in your heart. It's either hallowed in your heart or it's hollow in your heart. That word hollow is a, is a Bible word uh, that we pray in the, the, the Lord's Prayer, right? In Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus teaches us how to pray, and, and He says, here's how you start it out. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Hallowed be Your name. Hallowed, what does that mean? It means holy. It means set apart. Your name is different. There is something about Your name. Hallowed. So His name his presence, his identity, it changes us. His whole identity is altogether set apart in our mind. And this is something, church, that we have to fight for every single day of our lives. Because the world around us and our flesh and the devil want to tempt us to think that Jesus' name is just like any other name. That the name Yahweh, that, that Adonai, any name that you want to, to, to address God with, that it's just like any other name, and it's not. This is what we have to fight for. Our temptation is to look at His name as being hollow. That, that yet, this morning we'll, we'll sing Yahweh, Yahweh. We love to shout Your name, O Lord. But tonight, uh, it will be just like any other name. Day in, day out, we have to fight for the fact that His name is hallowed. So let's dig into Acts chapter 19 here. First point, uh, just two points I want to make here today. First one is this, the Holy Spirit hallows the name of Jesus in our hearts. The Holy Spirit hallows the name of Jesus in our hearts. I want to reread these first ten verses for you real quick to just give us some context since I threw us off with that Jessica Simpson story. Um, and, and Acts chapter 19, verse 1, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul passed through the inland country and, and came to Ephesus, and he found some disciples there, and, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I find that really interesting that that's the first thing that he asked them. Hey, tell me who you are. What are you about? 
What do you, you're a disciple, that's great. What does it mean to actually be a disciple? The first thing he asked them is, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? He goes on to say, into, into what were you baptized? And they say, no, in John's baptism, which is, we've read is a, this baptism of repentance. It's, hey, get ready for Jesus. He's coming. Prepare your hearts so that you see him. Open your ears so that you can hear him. He's saying this here. And, and, uh, and Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him. And on hearing this, they, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. Now, so these guys are disciples of John, um, and, uh, and Paul is trying to help them see that they're lost. Th- that's why he asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And, and what we see about the person and work of Jesus is that we, we, we get the Holy Spirit when we receive Jesus, okay? So he's asking them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Who are you actually following? Who are you actually, so the first thing he asks and the first thing that he's looking for when he comes into this town. Some people will, will live their whole life, church, following Jesus at a distance like those two men in, in John chapter 1 did. Never really knowing his name in their hearts, never really acknowledging his presence in their lives, never really following what he called us to do and has empowered us to do through his word and the spirit. And Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Because he wants, them, he, wants them to, he wants to know where Jesus is in their lives. It's a straight up question. What, I mean, he, he could have asked them, hey guys, have you been speaking in tongues? How many demons have you cast out? He could have asked for the evidences of the Holy Spirit, but he didn't ask for that. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit? So, so what I want to do is I want to just take a, a minute here to talk about what the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer. Because I, I think this is a question we could just overlook. We could just assume. Everybody's in church this morning. Everyone's got the Holy Spirit. Everyone believes in Jesus. That's not what we see Paul doing when he comes up into this town. That's not what we should do either. So, so, so here's the, we're going to ask ourselves these same questions. You know? So, so here's, here's the first thing we see from Ephesians chapter 1. When do you receive the Holy Spirit? This is a good question to ask. When does someone receive the Holy Spirit? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says this, In Him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So someone who, who has heard the word and then responded to the word in faith in Jesus alone is someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, so that begs the question, what has the Holy Spirit come to do in our lives? What has He come to do in and through us? Well, the first thing He's come to do is He's come to sanctify us. Uh, Romans chapter 15, 15 says this, that, that we're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And then Philippians 1, 6 will say that He who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion. So, so what has the Holy Spirit come to do? He's come to direct and guide you through this sanctification process that you're in if you are following Jesus where he's making you more and more like the person of Jesus as he guides you through his spirit. Now, what, what else has the, the spirit come to do? John chapter 14, verse 26, he's come to magnify Christ and to help us. Listen to this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. 
He's come to make the person of Jesus, the name of Jesus, hallowed in our hearts. He's come to set us apart, and he's come to show us how good Jesus is, because without him doing that, Jesus is just another name. The Bible is just another book until the Holy Spirit grabs your heart and shows you that there's something altogether different about Jesus. What else has he come to do? He's, he's come to convict us of sin and guide us into truth. John chapter 16, starting in verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He goes on to say in verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the Holy Spirit comes to show you when you're not on track with God. It's, it's one of the kindest things he can do to us. We, we hate the feeling of conviction of our sins, but it's actually the work of the Holy Spirit that convicts us and shows us that we're not actually believing in Jesus in that moment, the way that we ought to, the way that we're empowered to. We're actually walking down our own trail. He's come to give us understanding. 1 Corinthians 2.12 Now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us. There's some effort involved in knowing Jesus. There's some effort we have to apply in getting to know Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. Number five, He's come to give us love. Now, now it's one thing to read about Love in 1 Corinthians 13, right? It's patient, it's kind, it doesn't hold grudges, and et cetera, et cetera. Those are wonderful and great words of Scripture. But Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful verse. He's come to pour His love into our hearts. I mean, think about a drink being poured into a cup. He's come to do that through the work of the Holy Spirit. So the, the love that we comprehend with our mind, He's come to make known and actualized in our heart. The fact that we, that we don't deserve God, but he has, given us to, he has given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us Jesus. He's come to make that known in our hearts. Do you know the love of God this morning? I've said this before, and, and I think it uh, bears repeating this morning, that uh, most of us, most Christians in the world are not convinced that God actually loves them. One of the major roles that the Holy Spirit has come to do in our lives is to remind us of the truth, all of that kind of good stuff, but, but to show us the love of God in our hearts, where it actually changes our affections and the way that we live. He's come to bring unity to the body of Christ by giving us gifts to serve one another and build up and unite the church. He's come to give us power to witness. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. So what's this? He's, what's, I mean, also Ephesians 1, 13, we've read this, but He seals us for eternity with our Father in heaven. He carries us to completion. He he completes what he started and carries us, as we sang earlier this morning, about eternity. He, he's the one that guides us and leads us there. So, so what's this mean for us this morning? Why do some unbelievers receiving Jesus through the Holy Spirit in Ephesus 2,000 years ago impact us today? Because we need to be asking each other the same questions. I think a lot of times we just tend to assume that, that we've got the person in work of Jesus in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, and there's really no fruit of it. 
I love what Billy Sunday said some years ago. He said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian anymore than going to a garage makes you an automobile. Pretty good, right? It's, tr- it's true though, right? One of the worst things that we can do as God's people is assume that everyone that we're around, everyone we're in fellowship gets Jesus. Because, because it's not the truth. There's this, there's this story about this man in Mark chapter 8. I, w- I wasn't going to uh, read this this morning, but I'm going to uh, now because I think it... I think it's important. So if you've got a Bible, open up to, to Mark chapter 8. There's a story of this guy that Jesus heals in Mark chapter 8. And he says, uh, verse 22, and, and they came to um, Bethsaida, and some people brought him, brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he, uh, Jesus, took the blind man by the hand, and he he led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he said, do you see anything? Fair question. Your friends wanted you to be healed. Uh, They brought you to me. You know, I'm willing to heal you. And he he does this thing to heal him. He lays his hands on him. And he asks him, do you see anything? Now, what I want to highlight is this guy's response. He says, I see people, but they look like trees walking. I see people, but they look like trees walking. In other words, I see a little bit, but I don't really see. This might be the verse that best describes the church in America. That that we see just enough of Jesus to kind of know what not to do sometimes and and, and what to do other times and and how to follow and participate along and and look like we know the part. But but some of us and, and many people in the church don't see clearly. But here's the problem. We're too afraid to be honest about where we're really at. We're we're too afraid to say, you know, I don't really see Jesus as Lord because I don't rest my entire life on what He said. I don't give everything that I've got to Him. I've still got my hand in this other thing just just in case this Jesus thing doesn't work out fully. I've kind of got my my, my house and my money and my car and and I've got all this other stuff over here. He's not really Lord of that. He just kind of, you know, that's just my stuff over there in case all this other stuff falls apart. But the guy says, I see, but I don't really see. And so what does Jesus do with his response? He says, oh, you must not have any faith, right? No, he doesn't say that at all. What does he do? He lays his hands on his eyes again, and he opens his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him uh, to his home saying, "Do do not even enter the village. So my question to you, uh, is this, will you have the courage this morning to be honest about where you really are with Jesus? This applies to all of us, not just people that that are not yet followers of Jesus that are just kind of showing up at religious activities. It applies to more than that. It applies to those of us that are grieving the Holy Spirit, as as Ephesians 4 tells us. That, That we know what God has called us to, yet we do not obey Him. We don't obey Him. And so we grieve the, the, the heart of God because His Holy Spirit's in us, and yet it desires to help us to obey and to pursue Jesus fully, yet we grieve it because we don't follow, we don't lean completely on who God is. And so that's the first point I just want to make there is, 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 is what's, the work, what's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Because what we see is that the whole, we, think, we tend to think about the Holy Spirit in miraculous ways a lot, which is true, but 
when you read the Bible, the main thing the Holy Spirit has come to do in our lives is to show us Jesus. To show us that Jesus is real and that his name is different and that changes everything about our lives. The second thing that we see in Acts 19 is this, is that the name of Jesus is either hallowed or it's hollow in your hearts. And we see two examples of, of both here. So let's, let, let's look at this, uh, the, the first example of Jesus kind of being hollow to a group of people. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's the story of the, the seven sons of Sceva who, who walk into uh, this community. They're itinerant Jewish exorcists. Sounds like a rock band name. And, uh, and so they go from town to town and they kind of perform exorcisms. It's kind of their thing. They make money off of it. It's a, they earn a living from it. And so they hear about this new guy named Jesus and they think, well, let's, we see Paul doing some stuff. Let's, let's check it out and see what happens. And, and, uh, and so what they said was this, I adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims. I adjure you by the name of Jesus and, and, and you, we know what happens with this. So, so, so in, this, in this bizarre encounter, what, what does this demon-possessed person say? They say, you know, Jesus I know, and it reminds us of what James says in James chapter 2, 19, even the demons believe and shudder. Even the, even the demons know Jesus' name. Even the demons know his power. I mean, when Satan came to tempt Job, what did he have to do? He had to ask permission. Even the demons know. They believe and they shudder. And he says, Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And what do we see happening? We see some guys trying to tack on the name of Jesus to their magic trick to see what will happen. And... Uh, and, and, and we see how it, how it goes here. They try to call on the name of Jesus through vicariously through someone else. And some of us in the room and many people in our lives try to do the same thing. They try to call on the name of Jesus through their parents. They try to call on the name of Jesus through their friends. They try to call on the name of Jesus through someone other than Jesus himself, which the Holy Spirit has come to give us. He's come to magnify Jesus in our hearts. So, so these seven sons of Sceva, what they do is not really too different from what we're tempted to do sometimes. It's interesting that the, the third of the Ten Commandments that we looked at earlier in the service, I'll read it for you again real quick. It comes from Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. The scriptures say this, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, the Lord will not uh, hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, the interesting thing about the Ten Commandments, we should probably do a series on this sometime, is this. They were never actually called commandments in the Bible. They're called the Ten Words in the Hebrew. It's because they, when the Ten Commandments were given, sure, sure they, they show us what obedience looked like, but even more than that, they secure a covenantal relationship that we have with God. They show us who God is more than what we're to do. Now, God empowers us to live up to those to some degree through the Holy Spirit, and He shows us where we're, we're sinful when we don't line up with that, but they've come to show us who God is. They've come to reveal His name to our hearts. They've come to show us how different He is. Now, this word vanity in the, in the Hebrew is interesting because to take uh, something in vain means that it is empty or hollow to you. So these boys take the name of Jesus in vain because he's empty to them. They don't really know him. They're not really following him. They're just looking for a benefit in his name. They're just looking for a get-out-of-hell-free card, right? 
They don't really know Him. They're just looking for Him to do some tricks on their behalf. So the question for us is this, have we broken the third commandment? Have we taken the name of the Lord in vain? You know, when we take the name of Jesus, which is the identity and person of God, we talked about a name and all that it entails. When we take it in this empty and cavalier way, we, we break this covenant with God that He's made with us. Now, we're taught to think about this commandment um, in, in, in kind of a surface-level way, if I, if I can be honest with you. Uh, because the, uh, what, we're, what we're taught to think is that if I just don't say GD, if I just don't cuss and use God's name like that, then I've never broken this commandment. And I would say that that just scratches the surface of what God is getting at in the third commandment. It just scratches the surface because the meaning of this word refers to this idea of weightiness and reverence in our hearts. So, so if vanity is hollowness and emptiness, is what we see in Acts chapter 19, the opposite of this is significance and weightiness. And then when, some, when someone's name is significant and weighty in your life, what do you do when they tell you something? You listen. You follow. You obey. Now, you can say that someone is significant in your life all day long, but if you don't actually listen to what they have to say, you don't actually care about who they are, you're not going to follow what they say. And it, sh- it proves and it shows that it's empty, that it's vain to you. Now, here's the convicting part of this story. We take God's name, we take Jesus, we take His name in vain because He's empty to us in those moments. That's heavy to hear, isn't it? That's heavy. We take His name in vain because He's empty to us in those moments. But but what if Jesus actually meant all of those things that He said in the Bible? All of those things about living generously, showing compassion, sharing the gospel with us. What if he actually meant those things? And what if he actually wanted to do those things through our lives? Because he does. So, so what happens in our hearts when the name of Jesus becomes hallowed to us through the, the Holy Spirit? What happens when the name of Jesus actually becomes special and dear to us? What happens when we actually tear up when we sing about Jesus? Because He's so special to us. Because He's so different than us. Because He's redeemed us. Because He's saved us. What happens? Well, a city turns upside down. Let's read in Acts 19, 17-20 what begins to happen through this situation. And this, uh, this, so the, the the seven naked and bloody sons of Sceva became, the story became known to all the residents of Ephesus. The the fact that, that Jesus is actually uh, powerful that he's actually near, that he's actually close to us. Because what what's not said here that probably happens is Paul probably actually cast the demon out. He probably actually cast it. It doesn't say that in Acts 19, but I'm willing to bet that Paul probably he probably cast the demon out like he had been. I mean, through his handkerchief and stuff like that. That's crazy, right? He probably cast out. And then, then what what did the residents of Ephesus see? What did they see? They saw. The hollow name of Jesus and the hallowed name of Jesus, right? They saw the power in the name of Jesus, not just from this, these seven Jewish boys getting beat up by a demon-possessed man. No, no, no. 
They saw it through the person and work of Jesus and what it came to do in their community. And so we continue reading, and the Scriptures say this, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. That means praised. So all of a sudden, the, the, the name of Jesus was different than it was with those, those, those seven sons of Sceva were proclaiming the name of Jesus. It was completely different. And they saw power, and they saw identity, and they saw a person in the name of Jesus. Not just an idea. Not just a thought. And what did they do? There was a response when they extolled the name of Jesus. They didn't just come in here and say, praise the name of Jesus. He's above all. He's in all. He's through all. He has power over the enemy. They didn't just come into a service and say that. They actually repented, meaning they actually did something about it. Actually, their lives were actually beginning to change because the Scriptures say that they came confessing and divulging their practices. They were coming into the light with their sin. That's what divulging means. They, they, were, they were revealing what they were about. And the number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and they burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver or about $7 million. It was a lot of money. Um, <clears throat> so that the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Everyone in the city got to see Jesus on display that day. Everyone got to see who God was. And if you go on to read the rest of Acts chapter 19, what you will see is that it turned the economy in Ephesus upside down. There was the silversmith that was making idols. Um, for Artemis was a god that they followed, and he was making idols for that, and all the people stopped buying idols. So, you know, the money kind of dried up, and this guy was furious, and so he causes this riot in Ephesus because of what the name of Jesus was doing in that city. The, the, the Sceva boys accidentally led Ephesus to Jesus. <laughs> they meant one thing, God did another thing. I mean, guys, could, could you imagine this happening in our city? Could you imagine this happening in our city? The, the fact that a group of followers of Jesus would take his name and his word. So, so in his name is everything that he said. It's, everything is contained in his name. All of the things that we see in the Gospels, everything we see in the Bible, all of the grace and mercy and compassion and sacrifice and suffering that we see, all of that is in his name. Could you imagine if we took that seriously, what God might do? He would do wondrously beautiful things. And what these guys in Ephesus did was they, they began burning the memories of their sin. And, and when, you, when, you, when you do what they did, what they were doing is, is they were saying, we're, there's no way we're going back. We're not going back into that. We're, we're not just going to keep those on the shelf and just dabble in that here and there if this Jesus thing doesn't work out. They said, the person and work of Jesus is so real to me that I'm, I'm burning the memories of this. I'm burning the way that I could go back to my old way of living. I'm getting rid of that option. Thomas uh, Chalmers was this, was this Puritan guy, and, and he preached this sermon that I, I should probably just stand up here and preach to you sometime. And it, The title of it is just worth its weight in gold. It's the, an expulsive power of a new affection. What a title, right? An expulsive power of a new affection. This is what is going on in Ephesus. Is there, there is a new affection. They've received the Holy Spirit. God's love has been poured into their hearts and there's no longer any room for the old stuff. They were taking the person and work of Jesus seriously. 
Colossians 3.3 just kind of describes this reality to us. Where he says, he reminds this church in the city of Colossae, he says, for you have died. You've died. (laughs) There's only one way that's ever good news, right? If you're going to live, right? You have died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. It's now hidden. So when God sees you, He sees Christ. Jesus is your life. Is that possible in your heart today? For God's forgiveness to run so deep that you kind of burn the memories of sin. One, you let yourself live forgiven and you, you get rid of the things that, that kept you from following Jesus in the first place. You, you, you cut them off in your life. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, right, if, if your arm's causing you to sin, cut it off. It's kind of this exaggerated view, but it's, I think he's pretty serious about it. Like it's better, he says it's better for, for you to lose your arm than your whole body to be thrown into the pit of hell, right? So what is it in your life today that needs to be divulged, it needs to be revealed, it needs to be exposed, and you need to repent of. Because this is what the name of Jesus, when we take it seriously, causes us to do. We come into the light as He is in the light because we find no life in the darkness. Our trash, um, our, it tells us a lot about our sin, what we consume, what we throw away, what we want to get rid of, what we want to keep. And... Um, you know, the, the idea of, uh, of um, a trash can on your computer or a deleted search history on your computer is really a, it's really a, it's really a false comfort, church. What would it look like? Whatever, whatever sin has entangled you in this week, whatever the enemy has tempted you to, to, to base your life on and to, to seek satisfaction out of, what would it look like for you to cut it off today? What would it look like for you to walk away from it? What would it look like for you to trust more deeply in Jesus? Now, you'll never be able to do this in your own strength. You'll never be able to do this in your own strength. That's why Isaiah chapter 43 says, um, he says this, "But But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And so as you think about the mountain of your sin, as you think about the things that have entangled your life, the ways that you've not considered Jesus weighty and other things more weighty in your life, as you think about that and you think about how you're going to to cross that chasm, what you need to know is this, is that Jesus declared that you were His before you ever decided to follow Him and see His name as significant and holy. And that makes all the difference in our lives because Jesus calls us before we'll ever call His name. And the name that He calls us by is the name where He, he, he knows all of our secret spots. He knows all the things that you don't want anyone to know in your life today. And He still calls you by His name. As Romans 5.8 says, says uh, while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. So tonight, when we got it all together... While we were still sinning, Christ died for us. And and what that means for us is that we can have hope in the midst of this journey that we have, this struggle that we have against our sin.
And so I just, just want to close the sermon by just asking you this question. What would it look like for you to hallow the name of Jesus more deeply today? Or maybe for some of you for the very first time. Because God wants to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit that we might walk in the newness of life through magnifying the name of Jesus in everything that we are. What would that look like for you today? Let's pray. Our Father, we, we come to you today and... Uh, And we just confess that uh, oftentimes, Lord, your name is hollow to us, is hollow to those that we're around. And, and God, we ask that you would, um, you would help us to, to hallow your name, to consider it different. Um, and we pray, Father, that, that you would give us strength to be able to do that. We pray that you would give us strength uh, to know you more deeply. Uh, Lord, I pray for those in this room and for those in our community, Lord, in the name of Jesus is just like any other name. Would you cause, by the work of your Spirit, Jesus to live in and through our lives in such an extraordinary way that it would invite others to come out of the darkness into the light? Would you cause us to be humble people who know that Jesus loves us deeply and live our lives in such a way um, that's a billboard for his love that everyone would see. Jesus, we just thank you this morning for your name. It's in that name that we pray. Amen.